0: Swinging strike three, he struck out a really impressive bottom of the eighth inning for right-hander Colby White.
1: You know, you hear kids talk about these guys that play at this stage and stuff, and, and every kid wants wants to, and, and that's kind of molded me into being able to succeed at this level. Spencer said, Colby, you just got drafted in the sixth round. And I thought he was joking, then I started thinking about uh, you know, how hard I've worked just to get here and just build a pitch here. And then thinking about that, I started crying a little bit. Just when I get in, I know I got three outs to get. It's me versus whoever steps in the box. They're going to catch hell for, for three outs.
0: Uh, another episode of Brushing Them Back with Kobe White. Kobe, glad to hear you're back in this part of the world. The hurricane has has forced him north to the state of Mississippi. I'm glad to see you're here today. Uh, Kobe and I welcome a guest, former major leaguer Brian Tolberg. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about his journey to the majors and uh, what he's got going on in his post career. Uh, first of all, Mr. Tolberg, thank you for coming on the show today. We do appreciate it.
2: My pleasure, guys. Pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, you're you were a pitcher like, you, Technically, you still are a pitcher. You could go back out there and throw a few innings if you had to. I and and I Kobe is a do. pitcher, so I'm pretty sure you guys are gonna get on some pitching talk. And I'll have to reel y'all back in, but that's perfectly fine. Uh, All good. Why don't you go ahead and kind of give our audience just a taste of kind of what your early days were like? I mean, did did you have a ball in your hand from the you know the time you could walk and you knew you that was your dream was to play in the majors? Is that was that what it was? Every boy's dream. It was my dream to play in the majors.
2: I don't know if I had one when I could walk, but my dad uh, my dad always had a passion for the game. He never really played at a high level. He played a couple of years of, like, rec ball when he was younger. Never really had a chance um, to play. He was from Baltimore originally, so was a big Orioles fan growing up. And so when he had he had me and my brother um, always kind of you know, just at least introduced the game to us, and I, I took a liking to it right away at five years old, and T-ball, and just was always drawn to uh, the strategy of the game and such, even though I was never the best player on any teams that I played on. I, I, I understood how the game was played and, and the, the strategy involved. And so for me, uh, and, and I never really had a lot of people when I was younger, I never had pro guys that I was learning from. It was dads. And so uh, they did the best they could and and, and uh, taught the game the best they could. And uh, very fortunate most of my career to be around people that uh, just were there because they loved the game and they were willing to give back to the players that uh, they taught. So, um, and then as I got older, I, I think you know when I was young, ten, eleven, I, I told people, "Yeah, I'm going to play in the big leagues." And then as, as you get older, you realize it's not that easy. It's not that uh, common to happen. Um, there's only been, I think, twenty thousand people, a little over twenty thousand, ever to play the game. So. As I got older I, I kind of adjusted my my thought process and was like man if, I, if from high school if I can play in college and get a scholarship everything else after that is gravy I would love to play you know minor league ball to, to get a baseball card made just to show my kids maybe one day down the road and was very fortunate that I got an opportunity to to go both to the minor leagues and and uh, and forward after that so.
0: So you, you weren't a big travel ball, you didn't you you weren't playing like every every day of the week as you were growing up.
2: They didn't have travel ball. Travel ball wasn't uh an entity back then. We uh if you were good, you had your your little league or I, I started in boys club actually, and so we had boys and girls clubs, so I played there. Um and then the big jump was to little league. You were you were big time if you played little league back then. Um fields were nicer, balls were cleaner. Uniforms were, were better looking, and uh, and if you if you were good, you played American Legion ball in the summertime. And yeah. typically, there were only like two teams. There was like the A team and the B team. And if you didn't make one of those two teams, then you kind of just you know went and played another sport, or you know just hung out with your friends, biked around the neighborhood, whatever the case may be. Um, now, I think people have understood the, the the monetary aspect of things and if they you know if there was only two teams but there's a lot of other people that want to play well there's a way that we can monetize that and and uh you know get everybody involved and so that's kind of what it's morphed into a little bit and not necessarily a bad thing there's people that get an opportunity that otherwise might not have but uh, there's some that are run very well and some that are not so well run so uh,
0: you
2: know that, that that's anything i guess though
0: i guess so
1: were you a multi-sport guy or was baseball just your thing or uh
2: baseball i'll tell you like nowadays kids play year-round i mean there's no breaks whatsoever i took breaks off i mean you'd play in the fall and you'd have a month off and you'd play in the, the spring and you'd have a month off before summertime uh for for american legion ball but i was always riding my bike and shooting baskets with my buddies or playing tackle football throwing the frisbee i mean you you that is, kids i mean i don't think a lot of kids do that nowadays um uh, go out and just play i think everybody you know the advent of, of computers and, and and uh social media i don't think a lot of kids do it as much as we did as kids but uh but yeah baseball was my my i played flag football a year i uh I ran cross country one year in high school my senior year to get ready to run a lot more in college uh, but but for the most part uh, organized sports-wise,
0: uh, baseball was the one thing that I played. So, um, quick question: You were talking about you—you you didn't really play a lot of. You, well, you talking about organized sports? You sure. played. You—you you grew. I'm—I'm a, I'm a little older than you are. Well, I'm probably quite a bit older than you are. Uh, but we both grew up the same way. When you talk about playing or doing some type of sport. It was outside. What what Absolutely. you know, they they pushed you out the door and locked it behind you and told you to come back when the street lights came off. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, that, and there were plenty of people around. I mean we had you know, we had you know, a dozen people around
2: our neighborhood, so you just rode your bike from door to door to door and said, Hey, so and so home, can they come play and, You know, you at minimum you get four people, so you had two on two tackle football games down at the church field or Let's go down with a bucket of balls and hit ground balls at each other, and then we'll throw BP to each other. So, kind of self-motivated. It, it didn't take an adult necessarily. You wanted to do it just because you enjoyed it. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if if I had the video games and the virtual reality stuff back then, would I have been as uh, inclined to go outside? Probably, but uh, you know, there, there's a lot of things nowadays for kids to you know occupy their attention. So. I feel for them a little bit. I try to minimize it with my two sons as much as I can. So keep them as busy, as busy as you can, and you know, hopefully they won't go that route as often. So
1: Yeah, it's almost the thing, like I know when I was
2: growing up, video games
1: were becoming pretty popular, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. But like, I, so I had an uncle that was two years older than me, and we had, where he lived, there was some kids in the neighborhood and stuff would come over and come play some every now and then, or we'd get a friend over and play ball in the yard. But we learned so much about the game, just competing against each other. And then the only time we really got on a video game is when it was bad weather outside of lightning and stuff or it was dark. Yeah. You know, and then, which, I mean, like you're talking about now, the stuff that they have now, man, it'll look like you're playing, like the virtual reality, it'll look like you're playing baseball in the yard on that thing. Exactly. That video game, you know, which exactly. is pretty insane to think about. But it's crazy how that stuff and, and what's, what's crazy to do with them video games too is like, Major League Baseball is getting to where they're using that kind of stuff to see pitchers before they go out for an outing.
2: Mm-hmm. Which oh, is, absolutely, Absolutely. that's you know, so another way to train for sure.
1: Oh yeah, it's just all about how you use it. It seems like you know, it's like, is that your is that your goal? Is that your focus? Then go go run with it. But right,
2: and I was very going back. I was very I was very lucky. Uh, my dad used to commute back and forth a lot for for work, so he he would go a lot of times. Um, he would drive an hour and a half each way to work, and so there were times where I would meet him at the door with the gloves, and we had probably about half an hour daylight left. And you know, he'd come in, and I know he was smoked from driving back and forth and working all day. But I wanted to throw, and so he would, you know, change clothes real quick, come out with the catcher's mitt, and catch me. And there's a lot of friends uh, growing up. They're like, I remember that like it was yesterday. You throwing on the sidewalk by your house. We lived on a corner lot, and uh, you know, just me throwing to my dad. Um, I could do that every day growing up and just learned a lot about, you know, just the mental side of pitch and stuff, even though my dad didn't play very far uh, as a player. Just, you know, what are you thinking about pitch-wise and, and what are you trying to do in certain um, counts and such? So uh, I was very fortunate to have him. If, if, if he wouldn't have pushed me when I was younger, uh, you know, because at a certain point, you know Colby too, if, if you don't drive yourself at a certain age – um, you aren't going to get to your ultimate goals, so you have to be kind of self-motivated at a certain age. And uh, as a young player, uh, I'm very fortunate that I had not only my dad but a lot of coaches that, you know, they kind of pushed uh, me to do and, and be accountable with my work that I did uh, off the field or on the field. And, uh, and then when I got to a certain age, I was like, hey, if, if I want to get to the big leagues, when I, you know, when I talk about that, is it going to be a pipe dream or is it something that I really have a chance I got to put the time in. I got to have the work ethic. I have to have the drive. Otherwise, you know, I'm just delusional a little bit. So,
1: exactly, it's a it's an all or nothing game. That's what's so special about it. You know, You yeah. can't be halfway in because the game knows.
2: And, and you know, there's a certain time window that you have a chance. I mean, you can't be 38 years old and go, "Hey, I think I'm going to try to play." I mean, that, it's a young person's game, and so you know, you got to get after when you have the opportunity. Otherwise, that 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 door may close on you. So. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a, it's it's tough, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I don't think you would either, so. Exactly.
0: When you were uh, coming up through school, were you one of those 1% athletes like you were every time, every field you ever took, uh, or every diamond that you ever stepped on, were you one of those 1% guys you knew you were one of the better players on the team?
2: Absolutely not. Um, I wish I could say I was, but I was not. And uh, I remember talking to my dad when I was in college and he said, when you were in, when you were young and when you were in high school, we used to drive to like little league games, for instance. And and he used to have me in the back seat He'd say, how do you feel today? And there were times where I was like, I feel really good. He said, you had a chance to compete those days. He said days where I said, Hey, how do you feel? And I said, "I'm, I'm okay. He said, you didn't compete any of those days. Like mentally you weren't where you needed to be before you even got to the field. And you probably, uh, did not rise to the occasion as much as, or grind through a tough tough outing. So I feel like the older I got, I I think I really started turning in college. Um, I quit my junior year of high school just with some politics and such. Everybody goes through politics, whether it's in Little League or travel ball or high school, college. Uh, I just happened to go through them a little bit more so in high school and uh, and quit my junior year just because it started to affect personal relationships, started to affect my grades. So I kind of stepped away and and for me, I I talked to a lot of players here locally about that. It was kind of a gut check for me. Like, do I want to really go hard this way or am I happy being away from the game and maybe I want to go choose something else to be passionate about? So uh, for me, that was really an awakening moment and and made me realize like, if I really want to play college ball or beyond, I need to change my habits. I needed to change my mindset and, and really start to work. Even more so than what I thought I was doing at the time, and so that kind of, and we won a state championship for our American Legion team that summer after the spring that I quit. We won the state championship that summer. I went to a uh, uh, kind of a showcase in the fall of my senior year and uh, two-day event. And I threw really well and I had good grades. And one of the coaches there that I talked to um, ended up getting a full ride there to the University of North Florida. So. Um, But was I one of the one percenters? No, I felt like, you know, I I weighed 152 pounds when I graduated high school at 6'3". I probably topped out at 80. Uh, So then when I got to college, I was like, hey, I know I'm weaker and I'm smaller than most of the people here. So I tried to search out people that could help me gain weight or get stronger or whatever the case may be, if that was my ultimate goal. So I went and talked to a nutritionist on campus and Told me kind of how to eat a little bit differently. And, and so by the time I left college. I was probably 87 88 Miles an hour still was an unfinished product quite honestly uh, weighed 195 pounds so Was better than I was in high school, but still needed work to be done And then uh, that's why I ended up going to the Frontier League didn't get drafted my senior year We were a little bit young and uh, and I didn't have an overwhelming uh, senior year necessary to get drafted necessarily. So um, I ended up going up to Chillicothe, Ohio and, and working on some of my perceived weaknesses. And, uh, you know, that kind of opened the door for me to get into the minor leagues, affiliated minor leagues. So, but I, I, I look back at my whole career and I don't think that I was ever, you know, to your point, the 1%. I, I was one of the better pitchers, but I never looked at myself and said, I'm the ace of this staff. I mean, maybe other people thought that at times, but I always felt like I would get a little bit of complacency if, if I ever thought that. I was never happy with where I was at. I could be better. And so I think if you always and, – and, and guys along my career, the Tony Gwens, the Trevor Hoffmans, those guys were like so driven and so like singular focused to be the best. They were not happy. Even if they were dominating, there was something that they could be better at. And so I tried to take a little bit of that mindset the, the further along in the game that I played. And I think that benefited me, and uh, you know, continued to have the, the right work ethic. So,
1: it's funny to me the uh, like you hear the stories of the late bloomer type guys, like oh, this guy was a small kid at this age, and then he grew. and This happened. Like so many guys I've met in pro ball that are you know very peak. Like obviously, I've met uh, a few major leaguers, uh, and it's, it's crazy to me how you'll see that as a common theme more than you would think. Like, when I was a kid, I was that that small kid, which obviously I'm not a major leaguer, uh, but, you know, and and just thinking about, like, hey, this is this much harder for me because I'm smaller, and, like, you don't really think, hey, the tide can turn one day, and then you hit the growing spur, you put on weight, and then, boom, the fastball goes up, and then your life changes. It's it's pretty cool to hear from your perspective, too. I mean, you talk about less than 1% of people to get to the big leagues you're, you're one of those guys and, and at that point in time you were not this mature kid that uh, physically mature kid that was just way bigger than everybody and that's why he was good and and obviously there are kids that are big I'm not saying that it's like oh these big kids aren't as good because and they're better because they're bigger or whatever but you know there, there's some kids like that well I think
2: I, to your point I think there's a lot of kids when when you're 10 11 years old and there's guys that are you're playing against that have like mustaches and full beards and and you're like dude I, I I, I, not even 100 pounds yet and, and, and they're so dominating against you, you don't realize at the time Like they're just a little bit more physically mature. Once you hit that growth spurt, you hit puberty, whatever, it's a whole different ball game and, and the, it levels the playing field a little bit. And a lot of people, uh, I think like 12 years old is, is the, the age where a lot of people start walking away from the game and it, it is kind of sad. I just try to keep people and, and keep them engaged in the game, have fun, and wait until you get to puberty. And then, you know, if you decide that you want to walk away from them, but for me, like there's baseball was a means to an end for me. The, the pro ball was gravy. That's what my dreams was always going to be. But I was like, if I can graduate college debt free, that is, you know, a, a big strain on my family, me personally. And so for me, that was like the singular focus out of high school. And so if that's what the mindset is for some of these younger kids in high school to go, hey, I don't care where you go i don't care if you win a national championship i don't care if you play for a division one program go to college get some money that's just less money that you got to dig a hole out of uh debt wise when you graduate so but yeah it it, it is uh it is kind of interesting because uh billy wagner is a buddy of mine as well and he was a guy that was like five to eight when he graduated high school had one offer in virginia uh, i think he threw like 78 miles an hour and and then, you know, he's a guy blowing triple digits, uh, you know, in the big leagues. Uh, I think he has the most saves of any left-hander uh, in modern-day baseball. Crazy how things work, but, you know, you just got to have a little stick-to-itiveness sometimes and uh, just continue to work. And, you know, my college coach always said, play as hard as you can and let them take the jersey from you. Don't give it to them. So Exactly. So,
0: that's well, awesome. Well, Kobe and I – We know this fact. Our our audience does it. You know, we prepared for the show. We were ready for you. And you kind of blew right through the whole days in the Frontier League. The reason you didn't stay in the Frontier League long is because you dominated it to the point that they actually named an award after you in the Frontier League. So why don't you give a little of that back history uh, and let our listeners know exactly how your name ended up on a trophy.
2: So, I played in, uh, so 94 was my last year, uh, my senior year in North Florida. And, uh, I thought I threw a little over a hundred innings. I had, I had decent numbers, not overwhelming, not, you know, all district or anything like that. Um, I would pitch on Friday night and I would come in and close on Sunday. So after a while that kind of took a toll on your arm, uh, just cause we didn't have a, a clear cut closer at that time. And, um, uh, Towards the end of the year, I asked my head coach, Dusty Rhodes, uh, did he think I was going to get drafted? And he said, if so, it'd be late. It may be a free agent signing. But in the meantime, there was this uh, league, the Frontier League, uh, that was going to be their second year of existence. And a couple of our our middle infield guys, I think our our second baseman and our third baseman, were going up for an open tryout up to Ohio. And uh, if that was something that I wanted to do, he would make it happen. And uh, I got off the phone with with him. This was right around the end of uh, we, we got to in the regionals uh, that year one game away from the World Series and um, I got off the phone and my mom was like what he say and I said well he, he said, you know, maybe get drafted. Maybe not uh, go up to this thing up in Ohio And I was like, I don't know and she's like well, you're never gonna know unless you try and I was like, I've never been to Ohio. I don't know what's up there whatever." And She's like, what do you got to lose and so? i was like i I think i was trying to fight it as much as i can and just be just you know just complain and so i was like i don't want to put miles on my car so she's like well just rent a car that like quit being quit being difficult and so uh me and my brother rode up there and we met the other two guys and uh it was like literally a one day event there were probably 25 guys out there and the setup was uh it was up in chillicothe ohio um kind of between Columbus and Cincinnati and uh, they had infield outfield and the two guys that came up there with me were just lights out, they did fantastic they did BP raking all over the yard I was like man they they got to have made this team and then they had bullpens last and I went down and arm was a little sore at the end of the year so I didn't throw a ton um, going into that tryout Um, had good curveball in the the bullpen session fastball felt okay and uh, he Talked to me and and maybe one other guy after our bullpen sessions and said, You got, you know, the best curveballs I've seen. Would love to have you here. And I was like, Oh, that's awesome. Uh, You know, what about my buddies? And he said, They're good. They had had great tryouts, but uh, we have returning all stars at both their positions. So they're probably not going to make the season to start, but we would love to have you. You got to be back in a week. So I literally turned around, drove back, picked up my stuff, came back. uh, for $500 a month, that was pre-tax money, so $250 uh, uh, every two weeks, and uh, I ended up living with a farmer and his wife on four 400 acres of farmland, um, I came up there with a plan, and I told the, the owner and the head coach, who ended up being um, son and uh, dad, actually, of the team in Chillicothe, I said, hey, I'm here to get out of here. And looking back, that, that was kind of a gutsy thing to say as soon as I met these people. But my whole thought was, like, I'm here to get exposure and get out Dodge and get an affiliated ball. And they said, well, that's what we want, too. And I, I knew what I meant, but I didn't know if, what they meant. So I said, what do you mean? Like, I know what I mean, but what do you mean? And they said, look, if you get signed affiliated ball, then we can promote that and we get better quality talent that comes in here for next year. So I was like, okay, okay, I, I understand. So I went in there, and when I came back up, um, I met a guy that uh, was named Craig Brown that was of the local guys there, and I said, hey, you know, I'm here to get out of here. What about you? And he said, me too, man. So we, we just sat down and had a plan, and, and I was like, I feel like I need to get better change up. I need to throw more curveballs ahead and counts. I need to work on my fastball inner half to righties. I had certain things I felt like I got dinged for in college a little bit, and that was a place that I could work on it. And worst case scenario, I got a little bit better, even if my numbers suffered a little bit. So I went in there and, and, and we were diligent every day. we we'd meet each other at the gym, we'd get our workouts in, we'd get our running in, we'd eat lunch together. Um, he had a pretty good year. He he, he had a tough time with the uh, offense, some games. So his, his win-loss record, uh, wasn't as good as it could have been, but I think I had a couple, of, I think I had four complete games. I think I was like seven and four that year with a two eight. Um, I was right around the league leaders for strikeouts, which I'm not a strikeout guy. So what I was doing was working. Um, I had fully intended on coming back there. Um, I was lucky enough to get invited to spring training with the Brewers, uh, after playing there and they were gracious enough to let me out of my contract to, to pursue my dreams there. And, um, Fast forward a little bit further, but once I got to the big leagues, um, I thought that there had been one or two other guys. That was in 94 that year, and when I got to the big leagues in 2000, I thought there was multiple people that had made it to the big leagues uh, before me, and the uh, the commissioner of the league had reached out to me and said, hey, congrats on being the first person. He had faxed me that uh, when I was in my hotel, and uh, I was like, wait, 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 I'm one, I I thought this guy or this guy had had been there before. He's like, no, you're the first. And uh, I ended up getting called up on the 18th. Uh, Well, I got called up on Father's Day in 2000. Uh, June 18th is when I got got the call. Uh, And then I ended up pitching on the 20th um, at Arizona. And literally like a week later, there was another guy that was like the Babe Ruth of the Frontier League. He ended up getting called up for – uh, I want to say the Red Sox and uh, ended up uh, singling against Messina, I think his first at bat for the Orioles. So, uh, so just beat him by a couple, couple days, literally. Um, I had a good debut. He had a good debut. So I think he, the Morgan Burkhart trophy is like for the MVP of the league. I'm for the, 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 Brian Tolberg award is like the Cy Young version for the award. So it, it, it's, very humbling obviously to, to have your, your name used that that way and, and the people were just really really great um, I, I, I say that every time I have a chance to talk about Chillicothe uh, the people were just so genuine and we're happy to have you there because it's not a big city there's not a lot of hoopla that goes around there so we were like the big people in town and so um, they made you feel welcome they had cookouts for you all the time the people I lived with were fantastic so they ran a first-class organization as well. So for me, anything I could do moving forward, obviously that, that was a big help for them to promote the league, me get to the big league. So anything I could do from that point on, I tried to, to, to help with their promotion of the league and Chillicothe in, in particular. So uh, have nothing but good memories, have nothing but good things to say about them. Uh, one of the things I used to do was I had uh, pay stub from one of my paychecks, and I used to have that in my wallet. So there were times where I felt like I was too big for my britches or whatever. My head got a little big. I pulled that out and take a look, and it kind of brought me back to reality and uh, made me realize where I came from. And, uh, you know, this game can can humble you. They say this game will humble There's two types of players. Those have been humbled or those that will be humbled soon. So uh, I probably went off a little tangent on that. But uh, really, really good memories. So. Uh, I have nothing but 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 good things to say about Chillicothe, and they've since moved into uh, the Midwest version of like the Cape Cod League. So it's actually a summer league team, and they ended up winning the championship this year uh, for the the prospect league. It's called now. So mm. I'll get up there again and and, and go uh, catch up with the uh, the coaches and the players. Things have changed in the in the front office and such, but I'll get back up there at a certain point here soon. I went up to. Uh, they they, uh, they put me in the Frontier League Hall of Fame several years ago, so I went up with one of my sons, my wife. Uh, they've they retired my number, so they, they've been very, very good to me. So it's been a lot of fun.
1: You know, that's, that's what's so cool about hearing stories like that on, like, independent ball and all that. When you start talking about, like, the average person doesn't realize how little amount of money it is, like, even in affiliated ball during that time i still wasn't getting paid that much and then you gotta you gotta go out there and go to work eight hours a day and try to get better at your craft and you're sitting there thinking about money and back of your mind you know people say oh well you don't really think about money or you try not to but then today the if you're worried about hey if i mess up here how am i going to survive right you know that's kind of a and that that's what's so impressive about about your story and that's what's cool about hearing this because i've had some uh recent buddies that have gotten released by uh affiliated uh, teams, you know, and uh, they get into independent ball and kind of feel like they can't see daylight at the end of the tunnel, you hear your story and all the success you've had, heck, that's enough right there motivation. And, and I know the numbers. I'd like to, to crunch the numbers because, you know, just guys that get to the big leagues, the traditional way, just you drafted drafted a high school or college, mm-hmm. you know, that's a low number in itself. Right. But for a guy to go undrafted, play independent ball – it's That's a real tiny. It, man. Yeah. yeah, it's it's probably it probably ain't even a tenth of a percent of no. guys that have done you know, which is well, insane. And, and I'll talk tell
2: you, I'm sure you played with a lot of guys too, Colby, that you know are married with a kid or stuff like that. I have no idea how you make that work. I was very fortunate; it was just me and my parents. You know, helped me any way they could as well. I mean, all I needed was enough to fill my car up and to eat dinner sometimes because there weren't spreads after games necessarily or anything. So. You know, I was there purely for the joy and and for the opportunity to get playing into affiliate ball. Uh, I wasn't there for the money. I never played minor league or big leagues necessarily for the money. I mean, it's nice, obviously, and the kind of numbers that you know people are making these days. You know, get it if you can. But for me, it was never really about the money. It was just because I love the game. And you know, you're going to pay me to play a kid's sport. Uh, you know, I'll do this as long as it's humanly possible. So. Uh, but no, I, I think I think a lot of guys went to pro ball, and, and it was even an unaffiliated pro ball. Uh, they went there, and it was just like, "Hey, this is you know fun. I don't have to worry about college. I don't have to worry about studying." And I was like, you know, when I talked to guys there, because uh, I've gone back in the past. Um, I had a, problem at a head night that they had. One, you know, when I had my Tommy John, so I came back and, and, and talked to some people. I'm like you better have a purpose of why you're here. Otherwise it's you know, going to be one and done. When I went back and, and got inducted into the hall of fame, we, we, uh, it was over all-star weekend and we watched the games and there's guys pumping like 94 with, with nasty stuff and, and big, strong guys. I'm like, this is so much better quality of talent wise. It was, it was good when I was there. Um, most of the guys, they were lacking one tool. And that's why they, they slipped through the cracks and, and went to an a, um, independent ball versus affiliate ball whether it was, you know, guy could swing it, but the defense was bad. Guy couldn't run, but he had a cannon, um, good fastball and a breaking ball. They were missing something. Now there's some dudes, uh, and, and you know, at all levels. So you you better have a plan on what you're doing here. What specifically are you going to work on while you're here? Otherwise, you're just spinning your wheels and you're wasting your time. And so, you know, you better have a purpose while you're here. And what was cool when I was in the minor leagues for San Diego, I ended up getting traded to, to San Diego in '90 seven after two years of the brewers um, but when i got to the big leagues we had a picture uh one spring training i think the next spring training in 2001 we had a picture taken and there was probably 20 25 guys that they had signed out of indie ball so like for me like i was pipe piper i was the first one and and it gave all these guys you know not all of them were signed out of the the Frontier League at the time but like they kind of looked up to me in a in a sense because they're like well if you made it I can maybe make it and so it was it was kind of cool to hear their stories as well and and just show them like man if you know the only person that's going to really dictate whether or not you make it is you it's not your parents it's not your coaches it's you so what are you willing to do to make that a possibility not even a reality but a possibility so and, and, and you know i I feel like a lot of people don't gut check themselves a lot. I mean they're just happy to be there and hey I'm in A ball or hey I'm here. It's like well next year they're gonna bring a brand new crap of kids in and, and you know you're either gonna move up or you're gonna, you know, see the door. So you 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 know that, that window's tight, man. I gotta I gotta get after it while I can. So and I was fortunate that, you know, I had people kinda push me. Even when I got to the big leagues, you know, and I thought like, hey, I made it, like this is my dream from five years old. My dad's like, no He's like, shut your mouth, go put your head down, and continue to work to get better. You can come up for air when the end of the season is, but you haven't made anything. You just got there. And one of my one of my buddies, when I was in AAA, when I got called up, he uh, we went out to dinner the day I got called up on that Father's Day, and he said, this is going to sound stupid, but it's not hard to get there. It's hard to stay there. And I didn't know what he meant at the time, but very, very appropriate words, Cause there's a lot of guys you see that, you know, even in minor leagues, they get their, you know, double a for a couple games and then they hit a rough stretch and you never see them again. And, and that might be the end of their career. So, you know, for me, it was never getting complacent, even in the big leagues, never get complacent because every guy in the minor league complex wants your job. So you better, you better have a plan and just continue to try to get better every single day. So
1: something you said, I, I thought was pretty cool, uh, in a roundabout way. Uh, You were talking about you haven't done, you were saying your dad said you hadn't done anything yet. And I think that was, that's pretty cool because, like, for me personally, I've thought about, like, for myself, my parents have actually kind of came the other way at it. And then I was kind of thinking, like, you know, if you do something and you invest as much time as we do into it, you definitely don't want to be in another state gone not making any money barely getting by prolonging life a little bit if you don't make it right and not do well right you know and it's and it's like if, if you're there and then you hear a guy like you with your story and you just ignore the 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 percentages and the the odds and all that and just go to work good things happen and uh that's what's cool is like you know, the the complacent person says, okay, well, I've had this success to this point, and it's, it's, uh, it's good, and I've enjoyed it, and it's all. Um, and I think that goes into your career now as a coach, you know. Like, obviously, you've had all the success in the world as a player. Now, I feel like the same thing, that same mentality has to go into you as a coach,
2: you know. Well, and, and I'm sure you see there are certain guys in clubhouses that, you know, the negative guys, mindset-wise, whether it's the pitchers or why am I not – having things go my way or whatever, instead of just continuing that, that work ethic and the process, not worrying about the results necessarily. I think we're so, um, results focused versus the process. So for me as a pitcher, you know, the st- balls and strikes and the hits given up and the first pitch strike percentage, all that's a result. How do I get better results? Well, the process, if the process is better, I didn't necessarily realize that at the time, but I was not one of the people that, you know, I used to punish myself a little bit. If, if I had a, a rough stretch, I wouldn't enjoy life. Like on a day off, and instead of going golfing or go see a movie, I'm like, I didn't pitch well enough to deserve to do that, so I need to continue to work. I, that was how I was. was. And then I was like, this sucks. Like, I, I am an unhappy individual. And around AAA, I realized, like, like this game is going to bury you unless you kind of enjoy the ride here. Continue to get better, but once you step, you know, off the the field take you know whatever lessons the good ones and the bad ones and then let it be and then you know go do something else and so i feel like uh to your point i think there's a lot of people that don't know how to uh, you know i I, ha- I had no problem reaching out to coaches and going hey i feel like this is not so good what do you think and listening um and having an open ear because uh for the Brewers and for the Padres, we we I was very blessed to have a lot of really really quality coaches at the minor league level, especially pitching coaches. And so I just shut up and listened. and and it was it was really cool at times where we would have we just have a day off and we go to a bar and grill or something in our towns, and you know we just shoot the breeze and just talk talk shop. And, and I don't think people do that a lot um, nowadays. Um, it wasn't a sports psychologist or this or that. It was just like, hey, if this happens, what would you do? And why would you do that? And you just started to think about stuff so that when it happened in the game, you're like, man, we already talked about this. So I think I – think, uh, and I don't knock my dad. I mean, uh, I, I felt pretty, pretty good. I mean, I was only when, – when they called me up in 2000, I was only supposed to be up for three starts. I mean, when they pulled me in the office and gave me the, the spiel – I was supposed to be up for three starts. A guy was coming off the DL and I was going back to triple A and they're like, can you do that? And I was like three more starts than I've ever had in my life. So heck yeah, I could do it. Uh, so I was ecstatic and, you know, to be able to you know tell my dad, call my dad back uh, after i had already talked to him earlier that day and tell him like, Hey, like, guess what? Uh, you know what? We've always worked up for, I got a chance. Um, and I ended up winning that first game in Arizona. I threw a one hitter over seven innings. I was player of the game that game. Uh, we went to Cincinnati, you couldn't have played out any better. We were on a 12-game road trip, so it was. we went to Arizona, we went to Cincinnati, and then we went to LA. And then we were off for an uh, all-star break, I believe. And I was only going to pitch uh, the first two. Uh, I was going to pitch Arizona and, and the getaway game in Cincinnati. And I ended up having a shutout in the eighth of that game. Uh, on turf day game, and was player of the game that game. So, and I had a bunch of Chillicothe people from the front office and such to be able to come there, and some some fan, uh, some of my family from Baltimore came and struck out King Griffey Jr. looking, and you know struck out Larkin, like stuff that I'm like, man, I could die tomorrow and I'd be I'd be fine, I'd be fine. Um, and then when I got I, I got to LA, and I ended up finding out I. I uh, I was like, I got one more start, but I've done as much as I can to show that I belong here. Um, and I was given the opportunity. So that's what they said, you know, at the outset. Do what you can with it and, and you know, see what happens. Maybe you're September call-up. Well, I ended up getting uh, winning the uh, NL Player of the Week that first week in the big leagues. And our assistant GM told me in L.A., because I said, hey, I got rent due. Like, I know I got one more start, but we're at the end of the month. I need, I need to pay rent. So he's like, we'll fly you back over all-star break and uh, you're going to come back for the rest of the season here. So I was like, okay. So I could have I got, you know, and I probably called my dad and, and said, hey, I'm, I'm here, I'm staying. And, and, pro- and he's like, no, no, shut up, put your head down, continue to work or whatever. And, and, and I'm, I'm glad I had certain people, um, him and my mom most of the time, but um, just that when I thought I was going good, no, just shut shut up and just continue to what got you there, and then at the end of the year, let's let's see what you did. And you know, I was a nobody. I was a I was a number four starter, number three starter in the big leagues. I was not an all star caliber player or anything, and, and I'm totally fine with that uh, that fact. But you know, I was top twenty rookies in the big leagues that year. I've, I've got you know Cy Young awards named after me. So you know, when it's all said and done, I got to play with some Hall of Famers. And learn a lot from them and and make some good friendships along the way so for me i wouldn't change any way i i I did growing up so
1: oh yeah i can tell you this man if i ever threw one pitch past Ken Griffey jr i will be talking about that every day for the rest of my life so (laughs) much less than three of them so
2: yeah i don't know if i (laughs) gonna buy him he uh he he swung at one of them i i went three oh three fastballs away thinking i had to Throw it harder than I needed to, and this was the bottom of the first against them. so it was 3-0, and then I threw one, like, middle away that he took, I threw a curveball, like, a little bit down that he swung through, and then we did a little shake, fastball in, and it, he froze, he took it looking, and then just, you know, put his helmet down, took his batting gloves off, and I walked off going, I just struck out cutting Griffey, dude, so it was, <laughs> it, it was pretty cool, so, uh, anyway, it was... It was a it was a surreal moment and, and all you're trying to do is execute pitches. You're not thinking that, it you know, my my big league debut, I thought I was gonna have a heart attack and throw up on the back of the mound and your heart's racing, you're sweating, but then you realize like this is no different than triple A or double A or Chillicothe. It's execute pitch by pitch, have a plan and, and go out there and hit your spots and uh and I was very fortunate. I had a great catcher, both those games. Carlos was fantastic, Carlos Hernandez and uh yeah, you know, he made it easy for me. I, I, I told him when I made that when I got that award, part of that award goes to him just because it was so
0: easy to throw down. To so I got a a quick question for you. Just the the one guy when you made it to the bigs, the one guy that you knew from the moment you stepped in the locker room with him, that was gonna be your dude. You were gonna you guys are gonna hang out and be best buddies to your dying day. Who who is that one guy? anybody in that
2: regard i mean there was a there was a bunch of guys we were young that year we had a lot of injuries so there was a bunch of guys that i played with in like double a AA and triple a that i got to know uh, over the course of that time matt clement was a buddy of mine kevin walker was a buddy of mine um a lot of those guys had been up there were established had wife kids i was single and you know was just happy to be there quite honestly so I wasn't there going, hey, I want to be your best friend for life or anything. you know, I didn't look at it in those in that lens. Uh, one of the things that my buddy when we went out to dinner, he's like, Hey, people don't care about your opinions out there. You're gonna be up there for three starts, so just shut your mouth and go about your business. So like I would go to the training room and do my, my bands and my, my light dumbbells and, and you know, ice and whatever. I didn't say anything to anybody because that's what he told me, like literally shut up and just, you know, be a ghost. And I was in the uh, training room that first day just doing my work and Trevor Hoffman was getting some work done. And he like loud talked me to the trainer going, Hey, if you were on a new team, would you, would you introduce yourself or whatever? And I was like, Hey, I was told to shut my mouth. You didn't care what, I- and, and so, so that was kind of a nice little icebreaker with us. And uh, come to find out he didn't have a throwing partner. Um, so he's like, you want to be my throwing partner? I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. So, uh, you know, just uh, if some of that could rub off on me, even though he was a closer, I was a starter. So he he was uh, probably one of the most intense, prepared individuals I've ever come across in baseball. And so, you know, just to, just to talk shop, talk mindset, talk uh, recovery. Uh, when you're going rough, what do you do? So he, he was just, he was, he was a great guy, great guy. And uh, I, I've talked to him fairly recently Uh, but uh, you know everybody it's really cool once you get up there you never want to come back down to the minor leagues as as I'm sure you'll see Colby you get a taste of what that's like and you're like I never want to go back even if it's a rehab start or something like that you really don't want to just because it's so different Um, but everybody was super cool Brett Boone was a super cool guy he's like any any bats you need because I came up when I got called up um you know, we're hit for ourselves I was on a I was on a four-game road trip when I got called up originally so I'm going I was in Tucson in AAA so I got like close for four days and I'm on a 12 day big league trip so I had to go buy a suit I had to buy you know dress shoes I had to buy a tie because we got charter flights so my whole world kind of changed real quick so I had to adjust really quick I didn't have a lot of bats I didn't have I didn't have anything with me so Boone was like, whatever you need, take it. Um, other guys were like, whatever you need, let us know. So, guys were really cool. Tony Gwynn was super cool. Uh, Klusko was cool. Um, a lot of the guys, like I said, that you played with in the minor leagues, that they got there a little bit earlier. Anything that, that they could help you out with, they, they made themselves available. So, just a, a really cool, I mean, we played, in, in my opinion, the the toughest division at the time. The NLS was, was banging back then with, you know, Bonds and in san francisco uh the dodgers were good uh the rockies were good uh heck the next year after that the uh, um diamondbacks won the world series so i mean there was a lot of talent um, in the nls at that time frame so it was it was a lot of fun to be a part of
0: well see i wanted to ask you I wanted to form the question and ask you, when you stepped in that locker room, what teammates intimidated you? But then you told me about your first week in the big leagues, and if King Griffey Jr. didn't intimidate you, then I know nobody in your own locker room did that.
2: Well, it, it's funny because I, I faced the, the Diamondbacks that first game, and Tony Womack was the first guy that got in the box against me leading off. And I'm like, and he hit it was like a one-one pitch. He hits a rocket down the third base line, right to our third baseman. But he catches it, throws it across, and, and he almost beats that out. And that's a routine play. I'm like, holy smokes, he's he's running. And and is part of in your back of your mind, you're like, I got this guy's rookie card at or Oh, I, you know, I've seen this guy, you know, do this or do that on TV. And you kind of have to just go. They're just like you. They just do things really well uh, on a consistent basis. And so. Then it's just, it's it's execution. I'm not giving them more credit than they really are due and, and just go execute. I mean, cause you face guys, you know, on rehab assignments, I'm sure Colby's seen guys that, you know, everybody can be gotten out at any time. It's just, if you make mistakes, they're gonna make you pay for them a little bit more so. So, uh, you know, I faced Bonds when he had 69 home runs. I was the first guy to face him when he was on 69 home runs in 01. Uh, I, I played with Tony um, in certain times where, like, his last hit was a pinch hit for me in 2001. He hit a double. So, I mean, I played with a lot of guys, and, and part of me was just, I sat back, and anytime I had uh, to be able to sit back, Ricky Henderson was on our team in 01, I just, you know, try to sit next to somebody and, and ask them questions, like, pick their brain, because you know Ricky, for me, is best base runner of all time. So, for me, I was like, hey, you're facing a right-handed pitcher, and this is the situation. What would you do here? And what would be the toughest thing for you to deal with? And then just listen, just because those guys are so good at what they did. And, and you know, it was crazy because the higher up you went, the more simplified the thought process was. It, it was not technical. And that that's what I really, that was one of the things that really uh, threw me a little bit because I thought it'd be like, hey, this is like the secret sauce up here. And it's not. It's just guys that are super prepared, super athletes, But they just simplified hitting wise fielding wise pitching wise. They just simplified and and then if they had a bad outing They knew how to process it and and, and just flush it and be ready for the next one and so the mental side of it was was uh, And those are the guys that stuck. I mean the guys that played 10-15 years Those are the guys that were really really good with the mental side of it. The physical tools may not be there I mean a lot of guys, like the utility guys, blew me away. Like how they could be ready to pinch it against a dude in the seventh inning and be able to come in there and hit a bullet somewhere and drive in a couple runs, and you're cold for six innings leading up to that that situation. And, and they do it all the time, or they go out and make a great defensive play, and they're sitting for six of the innings or seven of the innings. I was like, man, that is that is so unbelievable mentally how, how strong you have to be to not only be in those situations but excel in those situations. So... Uh, it was it was cool. We had a great group of guys. Like I say, we had injuries along the line. My my you know parts of four years that I was up there, but great guys and uh, great ownership group. Uh, Boach, who I played for, was fantastic. I got to see him last uh, this past January at uh, the ABCA convention in Chicago and talked to him a little bit. Uh, had some great pitching coaches there as well. So a lot of good people there in San Diego. If you have never been to San Diego. Uh, not a bad place to to play for your uh, your home games. Weather's like incredible, and you know you're wearing flip flops and eating sushi for dinner, and like it's it's very laid back way of life, and uh, it was very nice while I was there.
1: I imagine so, and then then be able to coin a uh, probably the best base runner of all time, best pure hitter of all time, and definitely a top three or four closer of all time to play with. So.
2: Out of <laughs> that's, all three, that's unreal. Uh, my dad, uh, my dad was one on 2000. He's all right. In Oh one, he said, Hey, you need to get a ball signed by all three of you got three Hall of Famers on your team at once. And it never dawned on me that in, in that regard. And, and so I went to Tony first cause Tony was, you know, as good as he was one of the best hitters of all time. He was, he was, you could ask him anything and he'd, he'd be straight up with you. And, um, I got a bunch of bats from him and, you know, Jersey signed from him and whatever. So a very gracious guy. Um, but I said, hey, you know, can I get three of you guys signed on a ball? And he said, ask Ricky first, because Ricky's not going to sign anything if somebody else has already signed. So just say, hey, Ricky, can you sign these three balls? And then once he signs them, then bring them to me and Trev, and we'll sign them after that. So so I got three or four balls signed, and my dad's got one. And, you know, so pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um,
1: oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. So I got a lot of, I, I didn't know how long I'd be up there. I don't know, Colby, if you're a memorabilia guy, but. Uh, I got a lot of stuff on the walls that I've collected over time. I just, I was like, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. So I want to get some stuff, um, saved and and Jersey signed and whatever. So if guys were people that I was big fans of, um, you know, I got in triple a, I got, uh, I played for the round rock express, Nolan Ryan on that team at the time. So I got, a a, uh, a rainbow Astros, Jersey personalized from him. I got, uh, Maddox signed a jersey for me. Uh, Tony, Ricky, uh, Larry Walker. I was a big Roger Clemens fan growing up, so I got pinstripe autographed uh, jersey and a you know, Red Sox autographed jersey from him. So I got all kinds of stuff, and you know, I think it's super cool. Whether my kids think it's cool right now or not, their their dads think it's pretty cool. But uh, you know, I just I, I, I was what, always but, thinking.
1: Well, the the thing that's that's cool about that, too, is, like, I feel like, um, I mean, there's probably a percentage of guys that aren't, but, like, the guys that play in the big leagues, it seems like maybe they grew up baseball fans. Yeah. You know, and then you you turn away from, okay, I'm not a fan anymore. I'm a a player, and I can't get, you know, but at the end of the day, to your core, you still love the game, and you still love the players that you grew up seeing and playing with or whatever, and that's what's so cool and so special about baseball, which I'm sure other sports are that way. But I can tell you right now, if I ever met Albert Poe some of those guys, yeah. it would be hard to not ask for a few autographs and sure. few conversations, you know.
2: And what was so cool is like I thought I would be I, I thought it would be uh, looked at looked down upon, I guess. But like Tony would have like two dozen balls. So he'd come back from B P and, and you know, Dodgers would come into town. There's two dozen balls sitting in his you know and, if, unless they had like a little special note saying, Hey, can you sign to so-and-so from Tony? Like he'd just sit there and, you know, eat his lunch and sign balls and give them back to the clubby and he'd run them back over. And so it was not something that you had to be embarrassed about or anything like that. And, and uh, the clubhouse guys that we had, uh, you know, they know that I, I like to get balls signed or Jersey signed or whatever. So they'd be like, Hey, do you need anybody signed? And, I was like, "Yeah, I need uh, so and so and so and so," and there was very few that that were tougher to get. Everybody was more than well. I mean, your coworkers, basically, at that point. So everybody was very gracious to sign stuff. And um, I played post uh, post playing career. I played in a couple of golf tournaments and such. So I got a picture with uh, Phil Necro. He was the reason why I threw a knuckleball in uh, in high school. Uh, Ozzie Smith. I've, I've had dinner and. and um, Played golf with him and stuff, and I'm like, like just people that you're like, how the hell am I having? You know, I'm eating with somebody, and this is a guy that I used to like idolize, and you know Dale Murphy I met and hung out with and got some pictures with, and it just it, it you kind of got to pinch yourself sometimes, just and it, you know I, I'm like I don't want to be one of those guys that go, well I met this guy, and somebody goes, no you didn't, and it's like, well yeah I did because I got something signed by him, so. I don't know who that is for you, Colby. Like, uh, who's your favorite player now? Oh, I'm a, a full host guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and in pitching,
1: Craig Kimbrell, which I luckily I was able to meet Craig Kimbrell. But uh, I was a kid, man. I was 12 years old. This is what was crazy. I was at the Mississippi Braves game, and uh, Craig actually it wasn't even Mississippi Braves, it was Futures versus the Atlanta Braves. And Craig yeah. Kimbrell just walks out of the door, and I idolized this guy. I mean, he wasn't very big guy, throwing hard, power pitcher, and I I, I loved that as a kid. And uh, saw him walk out, and I ran down the bleacher, ran down the uh, grandstands, grabbed the ball I had, run up, got it autographed, sat there and talked to him for a little bit, or heard people talk to him. I would say very small, soft shot, but uh, and then that same park, I guess it might have been twelve, I don't know how many years later, I'm pitching in it, and yep. it was like it's pretty cool, just and that's very small, and shoot, you you meet. Hall of Famers, I couldn't even imagine. Which I mean, Craig probably will be one day. I don't know, but definitely not a Tony Gwynn or a yeah, you know, somebody like that. Yeah, that's a that's a crazy. Yeah, I mean, you you probably met more big leaguers or uh, more Hall of Famers than you haven't met. You know,
2: it's uh, well, it's crazy. I went up. Um, Trevor got inducted a couple years ago, and I flew up for that that induction ceremony. And on the flight back. I didn't get a chance to talk to him there. I I saw some people from the front office and such and some of the teammates. But on the flight back, uh, I'm walking by first class and Rod Carew sitting there with his wife, and I'm like, dude, like and nobody says nothing. I don't know if anybody knows who it is. And I'm back by like the toilets in the back. And and I'm sitting talking to the guy that just Joe Blow sitting next to me, and he goes, Hey, where are you doing? Why are you here? Whatever. I said, Get Rod Cruz in like first class, and I want to talk to him before he leaves because I had like a two-hour layover or something too, so I had time wherever we were going from there. And uh, so he's like, well, write a note to him. And I was like, you know what? You're right. So I got like a little little piece of paper, whatever, and I wrote a note and uh, had I, the girl getting drinks and whatever uh, walking by. I said, hey, can you bring this to the guy down there sitting by the woman, whatever? And so. Sure enough, she, you know, I see her walk down as she's, drink, you know, serving drinks and snacks and she hands it to him and, um, and points back to me and whatever. And then she makes her way back and at a certain point point, she goes, he'll meet you out outside on the tarmac. And I was like, dude, like how crazy, like, and so we sat there and chatted for like 30, 40 minutes. Cause he had a little bit of time in between him and his wife and we talked about just random stuff and was the nicest guy. I mean, so. I think most people are like that. You think that a lot of people are going to be standoffish. and yeah. They're not. I mean, as long as you don't, as long as you're not rude, as long as you don't come up like middle of dinner with their family and cause a scene, most people will do whatever you need them to do. But, but, you know, I think in today's social media age where, you know, they're trying to do selfies with you or, you know, interrupt you or, or kind of embarrass you at times. And there's a lot of people that, um, it just doesn't go as well as it should. So but most people that you come across are super cool. I met I met uh not all I got in the grand scheme of things. So I have mutual friends that when he played for the Birmingham Barons that like played outfield with him during that time frame. So I just threw one of those names out there. I hadn't talked to him in years, but I just threw a name out. I was like, Hey, he said what's up and he's he's like, Ah, da, 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 da. So he's like, Pull up a chair So we sat there and talked for about thirty minutes and like it's it's pretty cool to meet people that you, you hold in a high esteem. So even though I was nervous as heck and I didn't get anything signed, um, it was, it's pretty cool. So.
0: Well, before we shift gears to your post-career, I just want to point out uh, our my co-host here, the namesake of the show, Kobe White, is a huge yeah. Atlanta Braves fan. So I promise you, after he gives up his first career, Home run to Austin Riley. He's gonna pay the guy that catches the ball to bring it back to Riley just so he can sign it and so Kobe can keep it. So, absolutely, absolutely. All right. So, first of all, uh, first of all, I sat here in absolute amazement as you named you literally named every baseball superstar that I grew up watching. Like I I felt like I was you know 13 or 14 or 15 years old again. It was really. W- it was really scary the way you were just naming off player after player. I mean Tony Gwynn, by far my my most favorite player of all time. He is the reason that I picked up a baseball for the first time. Uh, that's why I took so much pride when I had a bat in my hand. Uh, i I I came this close to having an opportunity to meet him uh, when he was at San Diego State coaching. He actually his team actually was at a regional um, at Miss at, uh, Ole Miss. Uh, in Oxford, Mississippi. He was too sick to actually finish that season, so he didn't make it. So that was my one shot at meeting him live because I would have done anything to have actually spoken to him that day. But, uh, so like I said, I I felt like you just took me back to my teen years with all these guys you just rattled off. And the sad thing is, is he was just name dropping them like it's no big deal. Like, you know, that's just just some of my boys, so. Well,
2: and and, and I I had no shame, be honest. I I had no shame so we we would play you name it you we we play uh like the yankees would come in in interleague play and he's like who you want i'm like i want mariano i want jeter i want this guy i want this guy and so like i got i got all those guys balls signed i didn't get uh, jersey signed from a lot of those guys but i got balls signed i got a couple maddox balls he was my guy uh, when I was in the minor leagues that I kind of looked up to just because he was so dominant uh, And he had stuff similar to mine, I thought uh, Well, I had stuff similar to his he didn't have stuff similar to mine. Uh, I, I got uh, God, Randy Johnson Schilling uh, Martinez uh, and Anybody that was a name uh, McGuire Sosa bonds and anybody that I could come into contact with i try to get something signed so it was uh, it was pretty cool and, and, and hopefully my kids appreciate the history of the game a little bit as they get older and they'll be like oh you got and so's autograph that's pretty cool dad and It's not just gonna sit here and uh, collect dust so we'll see we'll see uh,
0: okay so now as a as a in your post career life you're still a baseball player you can't get away from it it, it courses through your veins Tell us a little bit about your your passion project. You've got training without borders because I know that's something that you're you've been working on. It's it's constantly about developing young athletes, and I know you're super excited about it. Tell us a little bit about it.
2: Yeah, so training without borders uh, came up I, I, after I retired in 06, I uh, I owned a franchise here, an edible arrangements franchise, for 14 years, and then when I got done with that, I, I reached out to a couple of buddies of mine that had met along the last 10, 12 years and uh, done some baseball uh, uh, events with here, both locally, domestically, and internationally. And I was like, man, I I just see there's a need for some things. And and we're not trying to reinvent the wheel, but Training Without Borders was, several of us kind of came together and said, you gotta have a way for us, especially if they're not in your neck of the woods, if they're not local, there's gotta be a way to be able to reach those players and really develop them and, uh, and and hold them accountable and and be able to get quality instruction to them. And I was very fortunate within the last five to seven years, I was telling William before we went live, I, I got a chance to get invited to go to do some events in Hong Kong for three or four years straight. Uh, I went to Dubai, Qatar, Kuwait, I've been to uh, Spain, Northern Spain for MLB alumni. So, I'm like, this is a pretty cool gig. They're paying me to go internationally, go to like, basically take a vacation and then go talk baseball, which is what I love talking about. And these people are starved for information over there for the most part and are welcoming any kind of of, of advancement that you can bring them. So for us, when we started kind of just throwing ideas around, I was like, well, what if we had a, a, a platform where we go just like we used to and we were just hired help when we went and did those things in the past. But what if we had the ability to go to these places a couple times a year possibly? Nothing crazy because it's, you know, it's, a, it's a pretty good flight over there. Uh, but go over there a couple times. Uh, but in the meantime, in the interim, be able to get some video sent to you. And you can do voiceover and you can you can telestrate on it. And you can add drills that are pertinent to what they need to work on both for the the player or the team or whatever the case may be and and how would that look and make it affordable for them how many people fall into that category and we start thinking about and there's so many people everywhere we went they they love the information but but the biggest thing i found was the day we were leaving they're like when are you coming back and i was like i'm just hired help like i'll come back tomorrow if you wanted me to but you know that's out of my hands well now it's in our hands and we have the ability to go anywhere we want we can set it up anytime make it affordable we don't want it to be a one and done necessarily so we want it to be something that works in people's budgets and and you know because there's a lot of people that uh, or even if the if the situation if if you're you know somebody in tampa and you're with a hitting coach or a pitching coach and you just haven't gotten the results that you've looked for and it's been a, a significant amount of time try something different you know and and, and you know, just, you know, throw a couple bucks at it. And if it's, if they're giving you the same information that, that we are going to give you, then maybe, you know, you just need to try to apply it a little bit better. If it's totally different than what you had been previously taught, then maybe there's a problem there. Maybe that's a red flag. So uh, for me, there's no ego in it. It's just getting kids better. And, and, you know, all I can do is give you the information. Then it's what you do with the information that's for my, my sons or kids that are on my little league team or on the Jesuit baseball team that I'm a high school pitching coach for, here's the information, this is why I think you can be better, it's what you do with it. So at the end of the day, I think if kids you know, have some uh, ownership in it and and take the information and, and don't be afraid to ask, well, what else can I do? What else can I do? What else do you think I can get better at? Uh, never stop that, that quest for getting better. Uh, there's it's limitless how many people you really could, could affect down the road. So that that's kind of where Training Without Borders was was uh, born from. And we haven't really gone crazy with that. I, I'm locally here uh, trying to, to do some things with uh, a couple other friends and kind of expand our footprint here locally. But that's definitely something that we're going to um, utilize moving forward. And, uh, you know, I just – Again, just like with Chillicothe, I have nothing but great memories of those people. Same thing for these international locales. They were just fantastic people. Uh, showed us you know, a love of, of where they lived and, and their history uh, and their culture. So for me, I love that kind of stuff. Um, so I would love to be able to not only continue that in the future, but maybe have my kids be able to see that a little bit as well and, and take them on some trips intermittently as well. So...
0: Sounds like a fantastic program. Sounds like something that we should have been doing already. I'm glad that you took the initiative to get it started. Uh,
2: well, there's, 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 there's people that have done stuff similar. I, I just feel like there's so many people that you can help. And uh, if you have the right infrastructure and you have something that's user-friendly and, 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 and you know, it, it's personal, I think, too, because, you know, I, I think that there's some that I've seen people that have you know it's somebody sends a video they send them a couple drills and that's it but like I've done them before where there's a guy that throws and it's like oh you throw a little bit like you know Colby White and, and you know he's a guy that's going to be in the big leagues soon and, and whatever that you know kids like kind of get, get a little geeked out about those kind of things like oh I, I you know, have a balance point like this guy in the big leagues right now so you, you make it a little personal and, and you go um, I think a lot of a lot of coaches too they they tend to focus on the negative and i'm like you gotta always lead with some positives like man you really and this is whether it's training without borders or local man you really are good at this 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 and this unbelievably good for your age this is where we can get better though this is really where you can take off by doing this this and this uh, versus going you're good at this you're bad at this it's just on how you word it i think so for me it's it, it's it's the presentation of it so i think if and, and the people that are, are with us in this uh, venture are really good communicators. So I, I think it has a chance when we roll it out completely and we get after it. Uh, I, I think it's got a chance to affect a lot of people. So
0: Fantastic. Kobe, you got a parting shot for our guest today?
1: Man, we uh – of course we appreciate you being on it's awesome for one for me even if we weren't on the podcast just to get to talk to a major league p- uh, pitcher player especially with one with a success that uh that you've had um i know kids that are listening to this or dads or whatever they'll definitely hear some ver- really good things uh that ha- actually need to be said uh you know you hear a lot of stuff online that's not the not the good things it's, it's cool hearing you say the things that that you said today
2: uh, we appreciate you coming on now My pleasure. Anytime I can help you guys out moving forward,
0: let me know. We have absolutely enjoyed it. We can't thank you enough, Brian.
2: My pleasure, guys.
0: All right. For our audio listeners, you'll be going to some commercials. And for our YouTube listeners, you guys can catch us again live next Sunday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Central. Now a word from our
1: sponsors. Hey, guys. Kobe here. As my journey continues, people tell me as I battle on the mound, it's really a game that's purely mental but I understand that the physical well-being is equally important. Mike and Christy Johnson of our title sponsor, the clinic at Farmer's Med Shop, in my hometown of Foxworth, Mississippi, echo the same sentiment. When you're looking for the answer for all your health needs, call or stop by and let Mike and his wonderful staff help you be the best you can be. Honesty, integrity, and hard work. These are characteristics that drive me on my journey. The same can be said for Hunter Forbes and his crew, so call or contact Forbes & Son Wood Products, LLC, in Sandy Hook, Mississippi, for all your timber harvesting needs.